You are listening to Sustainable Design Podcast with Anastasia Bachikawa. Hello and welcome. This is the most resourceful podcast on sustainable and circular methods. I'm very excited to begin this first episode with the person who inspired me and so many more others to shift towards sustainability. Christina Pisleha is the founder of Madisons, a consulting firm focused on innovative materials and trends in fashion and design. She is also an innovative materials educator at FIDEM and Art Center Colleges here in Los Angeles. Christine gives eye-opening overview of new materials, including mushroom leather, lab-grown silk, food waste yarn, pineapple leather, all as part of circular economy. You might want to listen to this interview a couple of times or check out the notes on the episode page, because this conversation is bursting with exciting tools, companies and ideas. Now, you were the person who created my aha moment where I turned towards sustainability and began learning and dedicating my practice to it. So I'm curious, what was your turning point? So, yeah, that is a long journey, actually. So when I started working at FIDM, which is now 14 years ago, so I can't believe it. Um, I had uh, this aha moment one day, actually, when I looked at a magazine, one of our really beautiful magazines in the library, and started reading about materials and garments made from coffee grounds and milk proteins and crab shells. And I said, oh my goodness, what is this? And I also read about the negative impact that regular cotton has on our environment. And I had, back then I had no idea because I thought cotton is the most sustainable, eco-friendly fiber in the world, right? So what we knew or I knew was polyester and cotton. So, And then I came across this organization, uh, Textile Exchange, which is a, a non-profit global uh, organization that um, uh, identifies and shares back uh, best practices regarding farming, materials, processing, and traceability. And I went in 2007, I went to their conference uh, up in the Bay Area in Monterey, and major companies such as H&M, Guess, etc., they attended this conference, and everybody was talking about how bad cotton is and growing cotton. And first the first time I heard about organic cotton. Mm -hmm. uh, so the difference between regular cotton and organic cotton. And so actually this was my, my aha moment. And ever since I started researching all these yeah, new materials and new ways of making things and yeah, got really yeah, attracted by, by these materials and yeah, I keep doing research. Yeah, I hear you say about cotton. So maybe you could share a little bit what is wrong with cotton, why it's not the solution, because I'm sure a lot of people still think that. So can you share a little bit of insights, what you learned at textile exchange? Yes, the major issue here is, uh, of course, the a huge amount of pesticides that has been used uh, uh, to grow cotton, yeah, they make um, insects to stay away from the plant. Yeah, but it and also contaminates soil and, and it contaminates absolutely. Yeah. It contaminates soil and then a huge amount of water that needs to yeah to to water the cotton plant. And I believe the numbers so they vary uh, all the time. So they say. Back then, it was 25% of all pesticides in the world. It's been used, yeah, just to use on cotton fields. And if you watch The True Cost, I don't know if our listeners are familiar with that documentary, which I highly recommend. There's a part of, uh, uh, there's a section in the documentary that covers uh, the cotton uh, grown industry in Texas. 
and how this has really contaminated the soil and people are getting sick and even die of the because of the contaminated soil and textile exchange um i see that they have conferences all over the world which i think is nice you don't have to be necessarily in the united states to attend it um i think the next one this year is in ireland um so whoever is closer there they yes. can visit so i like how they spread the knowledge around the world so it's not like one place exactly um based but i also very interested and curious how basically library knowledge brought you to idea of your own library you know like you really re-educated yourself at the library of firm but then how did you even come up with the idea of a library for materials as i said when i saw all the information in different magazines about these new materials and i thought oh my god i really want to have the moment and touch and feel and have a piece of the material in my hands. So and I started uh, contacting uh, certain companies and asked them if they would like to send me some samples. So and 10 years ago, 10 or even 11, I can't remember, uh, I um, curated the first innovative Matteo's exhibit at FIDM. So I had a few samples. I remember my first even garment made from coffee grounds or the milk protein uh, shirt and certain other hemp samples. And I just displayed them in the conference room in the library. And it was such a huge success because students really, like myself, they really love to touch and feel. So the touch and feel experience to hold something in, in your hands and not just theoretically talking about something, you know, like, oh, this is made from, or seeing pictures. So the aha moment was really feeling and touching those materials. And that, yeah, that was a drive for me to yeah move forward and contacting uh, companies all over the world and which to this day is sometimes very hard and you need very... <laughs> to be very persistent and because not many pe- uh, companies are willing to to give you samples even if you offer to to buy samples so they are very still very secretive mm-hmm. about them i think uh, a lot of them are still in development phase or they don't uh, have maybe enough resources to be sending your samples all over the world. That's where I think support and sponsorship can come in handy and supporting those companies who develop in such innovation yeah. so it can become widely available. So the more people interested in support, the faster I think it can be. So you said you started it like 10 or 11 years ago, right? Yes. With like couple samples. So describe what your library is like now, like how many samples or companies you're featuring and is it only for students of FIDM or who can visit library? No, the library at FIDM is actually a public library. So you need to call uh, the library 24 hours in advance and you can visit, come and visit anytime. So we are open Monday through Saturday. And of course, you can come and visit my textile and design research room. And what we have, so because of space issues, we don't have enough space, we have to store certain materials yeah, in storage. But uh, so we rotate uh, the samples and garments that are on exhibit in the textile design research room. And for example, we right now we have an entire wall dedicated to materials that have been either grown in the lab, which we may cover a little bit later, or materials that have been made from food waste such we have a, a boot made from corn waste we have a mushroom shoe we have cork uh, sneaker made from cork and we have a wool chair from recycled wool so we don't have we not only have uh, so garments but we also have interior materials furniture chairs yeah and 
much more. And then, of course, we also have the Material Connection Library. Material Connection is the biggest material library in the world. They're based in New York. And FIDM subscribes to their online database. So does the Art Center. And uh, it's an amazing resource. And they cover all areas of design, not just fashion and interiors, but graphic design and printing and footwear and jewelry. So you can find anything uh, yeah, you want to find. Right. How many brands or type of materials you are featuring in your library you would estimate? Can you estimate? I would say right now 250 to 300. So, yeah. Wow, it's really growing. It is really growing. Yeah. It is growing fast. Uh, but yeah, persistency is the key word, and <laughs> <laughs> the yeah. magic word. Because yeah, sometimes it's really hard um, for companies yeah, to reach or that they even get back to you. And so I'm a little bit of a stubborn person. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's very helpful in this case. And I actually didn't know that it's public library. I think it's really wonderful that this resource is open for community of Los Angeles, not only for students who pay tuition, because mm. I think that is really um, the innovation out right there where we open source the knowledge, we share the knowledge. So we have it open for anyone for free to come and learn. So because this is, I believe, the only way we can move on forward as a society and have any type of future if we want to have one um, with environmental issues that we have due consumerism that we have right now. And I also heard that you are studying similar library here at the Art Center. Yes, so little by little. So uh, the Sewing Lab and I, we are collaborating. So and we want to start a little corner uh, where we keep some innovative new exciting materials so i just got a bunch of uh, pineapple leaf fiber materials from pinatex a company in the uk and one of the rare already pliable new materials that can be used So still many materials are in the stage of uh, development and are not really accessible and available to the public. But Pinatex has come a f yeah, long, long way. And finally last year they became really one of the first innovative materials companies that been releasing now the actual material where you can yeah, make purses and jackets and shoes and all kinds of accessories yeah i think it's really inspiring and exciting how with bioengineering we can turn something as pineapple waste like leaves and you know um things like that into our leather like material so i think it's a exciting future how we can apply bioengineering to all type of um living matter like bacteria and then fungi and food waste and kind of turn it into a cycle um with that i wanted to ask like beside uh Pinatex, do you know any other brands that are already readily available so that anyone who listens if they're interested as a business a designer or a student or just a human curious human being that they could like go and order small batch because i know on uh, material connection that you mentioned um, a lot of materials are available for order but they don't have small batch order they only like kind of wholesale and things like that again because they need to develop they need resources to grow but pinatex is one example that can be ordered do you know of any other resources like that right now uh, i think one exciting company which is by the way one of my favorite companies is circular systems they are based here in los angeles and downtown They are the H&M Global Change Award winner from 2017. And with their fiber or with their sub-company, Agra Loop, 
and Agra Loop is producing fibers and textiles made from yeah food waste such as banana leaf fibers and hemp seeds and pineapple leaf fibers. And they are already collaborating with brands here in L.A. who have been using uh, this textile in their, yeah, in their clothing collection, So, which I really love because they came a long way as well. So, And founder Isaac Nicholson and I, we have been collaborating for many years. He was one of my guest speakers in the Innovative Materials Conference. So I'm, I'm very proud of this company. So because you really see actual results. Right. And I hear you mention H&M Global Change Award, which I'm also following and watching. And this is how I, I discover personally for myself a lot of brands or new technology and innovation that emerges all around the world. And um, I applaud them for giving such a big grants to support that type of development. But I wanted to ask you as an expert in you know textile field, what's your opinion about H&M? Because to me, it's a little bit confusing. You know, like I think this is one of the major great awards with substantial grants that they provide. At the same time, it comes from a company who is mm -hmm. straight up fast fashion. So, um, or maybe you know something about their stra strategy and if you don't, what's your opinion like? Because I have mixed feelings then about H&M. So do I. So do I. And I think almost everybody has these mixed feelings. And I know that Two years ago at the Copenhagen Fashion Summit, uh, Livia Firth, uh, the founder of EcoHLTD, uh, was on the same panel with H&M uh, Sustainability Director, and she really wanted to know about their um, their their practices, and uh, and they didn't. The director didn't want to reveal much. So there's, I also have the feeling that they're talking around, they're not getting to the point. So they, on one hand, I really applaud them for, for the Global Change Award. Yeah, yeah, no doubt about it. So, and they promoting yeah, new innovative startup companies that can, uh, come, uh, come up with new ideas. But The whole uh, fashion conscious collection at H&M is very controversial. And if you go to sites such as, uh, uh, for example, Good On You, uh, uh, that evaluate, let's say, 2,000 or 200 clothing brands. So what you read is not very, uh, very... Uh, positive about H&M. So um, I think everybody needs to make up their mind. So they still have, as we can see in true cost, they still uh, yeah, pr produce in, in, uh, abroad in Bangladesh and don't pay uh, people a minimum wage and, and don't practice a lot. Uh, yeah. So I think you bring up great point about fair trade and transparency being a big part about sustainability. Yes. It's not only about materials, really, or not only about innovation and technology. It's also um, if the workers who produce the clothes have a proper conditions and pay, you know, and save safety. Um, that you know issue became known and had some visibility only after the Rana Plaza collapse yes. where fast fashion brands like H&M um, produced their clothes. So like JCPenney, Walmart, um, and a couple other mm -hmm. companies were part who are producing clothes specifically on that factory. And there is a really great five-minute Updoc by New York Times mm -hmm. available online, which I really recommend. That shows a very truthful um, and concise picture of what happened, and that started, I feel like, that conversation. And you also yeah. bring up another great point about transparency that it's not really enough to claim we are sustainable or we support sustainability without 
um, disclosing and um, providing open access to information like where their materials and clothes come from, how is it grown, who produced it, what's in it, and where is it going after. So I think without providing those very basic things um, available for people, I don't think um, sustainability is quite possible, especially with a company of a scale um, like H&M. Yes, I, I, I totally agree. And uh, like I mentioned now, so there's right now more and more uh, companies out there available on, on the web or as an app that evaluate uh, different companies or major companies, you know, who claim that they are sustainable and actually they are not or only certain parts mm -hmm. of the whole process. So and they measure environmental uh, impact, labor rights and even animal rights. So that has uh, or animal welfare that has become a, a big issue as well. So what I love, I came across, uh, uh, let's say, two years ago is the animal um, uh, welfare, uh, how you call it, PETA, PETA, uh, who protects uh, animal rights. They came up with a fascinating uh, and wonderful uh, uh, guide directory of um, uh, suppliers of vegan materials. Mm -hmm. And so they list all kinds of yeah fur and uh, fur fake fur suppliers or down suppliers or uh, organic cotton suppliers etc cetera, etc. Cetera. Mm -hmm. That is really uh, an amazing development that they're not only focusing anymore on the animal welfare, but they go a step further and look into the whole garment and clothing uh, industry so that we yeah, are able to protect and wear uh, non-toxic garments. Right. Um, also, going back, last question about H&M and fast fashion in general, as to, according to your knowledge and your expertise, do you think fast fashion has future at all? I think, yeah, we are in the middle of living fast fashion. Yeah, we are living a linear economy. Uh, yeah, just take, make, and dispose. I think that ain't gonna change because, uh, yeah, people love to buy things. People love to change <laughs> their outfit uh, uh, very rapidly or fast. What I think has to change or if we could change the materials, if this fast fashion concept could work with a biodegradable material, mm -hmm. right? So, so the concept of, of bio fashion, for example, so that we maybe grow our materials in the lab, grow our textiles in the lab, and then once we don't wear it anymore, or if we have to buy something new, that we know that this garment will biodegrade into the earth. So here I have a question. Do you think biodegradable equals sustainability in a way? So let's say, for example, if most of materials become biodegradable, would that be enough to solve the issue that we have with amount of things that we consume and dispose? Probably not. Of course, I think we need to reduce our consumption. So being more aware, uh, yeah, how much we buy, and of course, what, what we buy. But I don't think that fast fashion can be eliminate, eliminated from this earth anymore. I, I, I doubt it. Mm -hmm. So we just need to create awareness yeah, about materials. Right. Um, another concern that I have about biodegradable materials, even though they are by far better than any toxic synthetic material, is that a lot of them actually require special facilities to be biodegraded. A lot of them will take a very long time or cannot be biodegraded safely if they place just into environment like landfill. So a lot of them require special facilities to make the process safe and fast so with that um 
what comes to my mind is this idea of circular design and circular economy, another concept that actually you introduced to me um, a year ago, actually, exactly. Oh, yeah. Wow, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Time Flies um, by Hélène MacArthur Foundation. So yes. do you want to speak a little bit of what this foundation is about and on the concept of circular economy and what it is? So the Hélène MacArthur Foundation is really a global player in the uh, circular economy and sustainability movement. They release uh, once in a while uh, the Ellen MacArthur Foundation report that covers all eras of circular economy. So starting from raw material extraction over design, so manufacturing, what kind of uh, energies do we use Uh, to manufacture things, for example, do we use solar power? Do we use water power? Or, yeah, any different kind of power that is non toxic, so, or using natural resources, or the whole transportation so, uh, issue. How do we get the garments once they're? been manufactured overseas, how do we get them in an eco-friendly way to the U.S., for example? Or is it even necessary to produce uh, materials abroad? Why can't we go back and produce materials here in the U.S., locally resourced uh, materials? Or then the whole recycling process. So how what kind of materials land on landfills, what kind of clothing or materials, textiles can be separated. That's a whole nother issue and a whole nother realm of investigation because still there's difficulties to separate um, poly, uh, blended fibers, cotton from polyester, etc., etc. And even if we, many companies have started to use recycled plastic, Oh, yeah, making yarns out of uh, recycled uh, plastic materials. It's still plastic. After. Right. And what I also studied and learned recently is that even if the garment, wearable garment that is, will have to be washed, and if it's made from even ocean or recycled plastic, then it will shed microplastic fibers every yeah. time you wash it and contaminate waters because those particles are so small that it's very hard to capture. And this way they will keep coming back into the ocean. So there is also a question, is this a solution for plastic? But I want to go back to Len MacArthur Foundation mm -hmm. for a second. What really fascinates me with them, which they've been my major resource to mm -hmm. learning everything is exactly that they open source for free yeah. all of the information that they have if you go on their website they you can find information on design how to teach it how to actually design with it you can find environmental reports you can find all type of courses for free to educate yourself so this yeah. is actually what i'm i am doing right now is I'm finishing a course by Ellen MacArthur Foundation that is featured on EDX. EDX is an online learning platform yeah. that is created by Harvard together with MIT. And um, they released this course, Circular Economy Introduction, that is absolutely free. It's a seven-week course. Mm -hmm. um, but also for additional $50, you can get um, the official certification license yeah. for it. So if you want to feature it on your resume or LinkedIn, you can do that. But the point being is that this course is like goes in-depth, clarifies the understanding of circular economy, how we are going away from linear economy, take, make, and waste mm -hmm. basically to a circular where it's okay to use plastics and it's okay to use cotton if we, in the end of its life cycle, it's not getting disposed. There is no concept of a landfill or waste. Yeah. So we design out the concept of waste. And in the end of life, this plastic or any material really comes back mm -hmm. into a cycle by being recycled 
and remanufacture. So there is this wonderful diagram online, again, for free, that explains it pretty well. The butterfly yeah. diagram, it's called, mm -hmm. that I think shows it really well on different levels, how we don't really need to recycle right away. This is actually third or close to last step solution. Yes. The, like they talk how things need to be first reused, then they have to be fixed. That's what Patagonia yeah. is famous for, yeah. pr like promoting that approach is fixing uh, instead of throwing away or recycling per se, because those steps are much cheaper than recycling. And then in the end, once the material becomes absolutely non-fixable, non-usable, that's when we want to recycle it to bring it back into a cycle so we don't have to keep taking material from natural resources yeah. because they're finite. Yeah. We're not going to have them forever. We're already running out of most of them. Mm. So um, I like how they explain very clearly in that course and on their website all this levels of cycles that can make that circular economy so yeah. circular is actually many loops before exactly. it becomes yeah. recycling and also i like that they introduce they and also another leaders of um sustainable information cradle to cradle, cradle to, i just wanted to mention it yeah right yeah, um, because yeah. then my card foundation concept of circular economy is really based on sharing economy concept on cradle to cradle work and couple yeah. other school of thought so cradle to cradle came up with the idea of technical nutrient and bionutrient. Bionutrient is the natural one that can biodegrade, but we don't really need to let it biodegrade. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we, we can, can keep it in the loop. Yeah, keep yeah, it in the loop, loop just yeah, keep yeah. recycling. So we don't need to grow new cotton. We can just yeah. be recycling cotton if it's not contaminated and non-toxic. Mm -hmm. And then they introduced the idea of technical nutrient, which is everything else. So here's your plastics, here's your electronic right. waste yeah. and all these complex materials, you know. What do we do with the iPhone? What do we do with this microphone, you know, in the end of its life? Um, it, again, it shouldn't go into a landfill. We don't really need the concept of no, a landfill. No, we don't need Yeah, we just need to design each around. product with idea of disassembly mm. end of life. So mm. If anyone is interested, I think those are the greatest resources. Yeah. And thank you again for introducing those to me yeah. a year ago. And by the way, I'm talking about design. Uh, there's a good, yeah, good reason to uh, mention another great resource, in my opinion. Those are yeah, two fabulous resources, Cradle to Cradle and Ellen MacArthur. But the third one, and also for free and downloadable from the internet, is the Nike Circularity Workbook. Mm -hmm. So it starts, the first pages uh, uh, contain um, a glossary of terms, which explains really very well circle, what circular design, waste, uh, etc. means. And then it's really a workbook for those uh, of you who listen and who are designers. So with many, many questions around circular economy uh, to ask the right questions as a designer. So how or where do I pick up the right material? What do I do with this uh, certain material? It's, uh, yeah, et cetera, et cetera. It's a fabulous workbook for designers. Wow, thank you for bringing it in and sharing. I actually have never seen it in yeah. physical form so wow it's quite impressive well designed very inspiring yeah, absolutely, um, yeah. book but also i think not only for designers but i think even for uh, anyone who just you know conscious consumers even i think those type of resources like ellen MacArthur foundation cradle to cradle nike workbook the all those free resources that can educate in an extremely exciting and inspiring way in such a challenging times, environmental times that we are now, yeah. I think that type of information can be very useful for anyone really, not only designers, because there is a lot of consumers out there today that are conscious. They either already educated or they really want to know. So I think even you know, that type of information changed not only the way I work and design and who 
I work with, but also my choices on daily basis. You know, what do I buy? What do I consume? And what type of decisions I can make more educated decisions. So with that, I have another question. Uh, do you have an advice for those people who are not designers and listening to this and they want to identify greenwashing, aka yeah. fake sustainability? So what are the tools or techniques that you are advising what to look for? How can we identify and make better choices in this fact, uh, unclear fact-checking time? You know what, first of all, I would uh, recommend to look for really for a uh, check for third party uh, validations on the internet. So I mentioned before the company Good On You, which is a website and also an app that rates companies regarding their ethical practices along a scale from one to five. So they measure environmental impact, labor rights and animal welfare so it provides a brand directory with over 2,000 brands and a ratings guide. So then uh, check for details and specific data. There's other companies such as Fashionista, which is an ethical fashion certification list, mm -hmm. or the Fair, Fair Trade certified. Fairtrade Certification Initiative was created to form a new method for economic trade. Or the Fashion Revolution Transparency Index, very important. So it ranks the biggest 200 brands um, ready to download as well. So or the global organic textile standards that can be looked up on the internet. So, yeah, these are some major, major websites that are free and are accessible for everybody. And actually, the uh, Good On You is really exciting to read as well. So, because it's not just this rating index, but it's also it delivers stories, blogs, and nice pictures. So, it's, it's a very modern uh, website and app. Right. So I think those are really great for somebody who wants to take time, you know, and educate themselves and make better choices. But what about people who are in the store on the website already need to make a faster choice of a brand, you know, or thing that they buy? Do you have any cues on how to make that decision if somebody didn't go on those um, index, you know, like or study ahead of time? So what are the cues to look for and maybe also, what are the examples of the brands that are front runners and what they are doing? So, yeah, if you are in the store, just spontaneously, of course, always look for tags. So if you find a GOT tag uh, or certified tag that tells you, you know, like in the food industry. So What's GOT tag? The GOT, a Global Organic Textile Standards tag. So it's like similar like the USAD for food, the certif certified USAD if you go to Whole Foods or to any other food store to make sure that it's right. organic. So the Global Organic Textile Standards yeah, are very, very common. So... Um, what was the other question? Uh, so the question was, what else, like, let's say, if I look on a website, you know, what yeah. type of information I need to be looking for to I be able to identify that the company makes at least enough effort, you know, to, yeah. to be more responsible product maker? Yeah, look, look, uh, if you look in the website, then, of course, then check, uh, for example, the about page. So, and look uh, if there's any sustainability page. That's, so, there you can find out uh, a lot uh, what's going on. So, for, yeah, that would... And things to look that we mentioned a little earlier is materials, materials. fair trade, transparency. So, basically, their emissions or their impact during product yes. production. So, like, water... Um, CO2 emissions, things like that. If they have those reports available, for example, like Reformation Absolutely. Th yeah, in if, LA, yeah. they do share that 
um, type of things. They create their own way to kind of categorize materials, but they share more openly than other companies um, their impact and what's in their materials and where is it made. And actually it's made right here in LA, right under their office operations, which I find mm -hmm. fascinating. Um, so I think, yeah, those are the things to look yeah for. just you know, check if they really are going the extra mile uh, so uh, yeah like you mentioned uh, what kind of energy do they use do they use recycled water for example or yeah what efforts they take to reduce waste Mm -hmm. etc and a uh, second part of a question was um what are the examples of brands that are actually put the most amount of effort who would you call the front runners of fashion that you know push sustainability and circularity forward yeah for me it is no doubt about it it's patagonia so this is they have been practicing practicing the circular economy or parts of circular economy forward and since many, many years. And every year I have the feeling that they come up with new solutions and the whole production process is if you go and visit, you can actually yeah, visit them in their headquarters in Ventura. I just went there with a delegation from Japan in November. Uh, it is just mind boggling. It's so inspiring. And I'm so happy that a company is doing what they are doing. Can you give us a couple examples of Patagonia practices that you find um, inspiring and role model for other companies to follow? So, I, I mean, it just starts already. So how the facility is set up. So in Ventura, that they have their own kindergarten, for example, that they have their own uh, kitchen that they cook uh, with uh, 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 food that they grow in their own garden, you know, and the whole uh, sourcing process or uh, production process, what kind of materials they've been using. So they just came up, I believe, with a new uh, filling materials for, for, their, for their jackets made from recycled wool, or they created a new way of uh, nylon, uh, recyclable nylon that, uh, yeah, can be re reused over and over again. So, yeah, these are some... Yeah, I also know they give out a lot of grants for communities Absolute, who do yeah. uh, work to change any part of sustainability, whether it's um, social, environmental. And I think their latest program from last year was um, to fix things uh, so where you can bring or send the item back for them to repair so they're really big on idea of repairing that like second life cycle giving second chance yeah. to item before it even goes into recycling because recycling is really expensive and not really not always worth it so then um they really establish this official program and provided services for the people to be able to repair the items yeah. to give it the longest life possible. So these items for some people, they have it the entire life or even pass it, you know, to other people. Um, exactly. And so they've been practicing this for a long time, this, yeah, bringing back and repairing and, yeah, and keeping the materials as long in, in the loop as possible. So they started also a campaign many years ago where I think the ad said, don't buy this jacket. Which was really, yeah, and they they sold out the uh, their jackets as fast, yeah, so never have seen. So it was like an anti-consumption campaign, but they just created the opposite effect. It was really funny. Yeah, but I think even now that the campaign and the jacket is gone, there this ad is still lives on as a you know great example in history, where it's the first time the company brings at least awareness, even though it caused the opposite effect. But now it keeps creating awareness of like, do we need to buy as much, and like them being brave enough to say that you don't need to you know purchase this item. Um, mm -hmm. 
So I think that I find it really interesting. Uh, another, I think, important. Yeah, you're gonna hit. No, yeah, just yeah, going back to your previous question uh, before about um, uh, keeping things as much in the loop and and repairing things, so not uh, tossing and yeah, things and so or buying vintage which is a new kind of concept of the whole circular economy or sustainability movement right. so buying vintage and repairing things yeah yeah but i think it's one thing to ask people not to throw away and repair another thing is provide service as a company yes absolutely. so i think that would makes it big difference than just asking yeah. people to do it themselves so i mean uh, Going back to H&M, H&M offers also uh, uh, service to, if you return uh, clothing bought at H&M, so that they're going to take it back and recycle. And even they offer that you get 15% off if you buy new clothing. So for me, it's a little bit like a contradiction. So they, yeah offer you five, 15% to consume more, right? Mm -hmm. But I hear that um, for a recycling program that they have, they collaborated with ICO, um, which is company yeah. who um, sorts out items. Some of them go back as a second-hand items, but the rest of them, like torn or stained items going to sorting and recycling mm -hmm, facilities mm -hmm. which i think is shredding which is downcycling really but i think for and they take the h&m um take not only clothes it can be any type of fabric waste which i find fascinating so if it's like a curtain and old bed sheets and things like that things that cannot be reused anymore or damaged mm -hmm. so i think as far as I know today, that is like a safer way where this item could go. Um, even though, again, I would rather have it go into recycling, not downcycling, because um, some of their recycling processes really take the quality a step down mm -hmm. where, let's say, a shirt becomes uh, insulation. Yes. Then yeah, it cannot okay. become a shirt again. So the idea is to try to keep the value of the material as long as possible. So keep the shirt becoming a new shirt. shirt yeah. So I think that's the goal. But um, that's who H&M is working with right now, which I think is better than nothing solution because I actually don't know another facility who can take and definitely recycle, recycle my items like fabric mm. items. And I think... Another company that is worth mentioning um, because you mentioned it in your course a lot and you um, opened up for me personally a lot of innovation within the company, Stella McCartney. Yes. That is an example of uh, luxury fashion, uh, obviously. Mm -hmm. So it's high fashion, different price point. But with that being said, that it, not everybody can afford it. Those are the people who can support financially development of some technologies like both threads. Both threads. Absolutely. Yeah, do you want to talk a little bit about both threads? Because again, yeah. you are the person who I learned it from and yeah. still fascinated about it. Yeah, it is, and yeah, I think both threads is one of the major key players right now in in developing new ways of making things, and I believe it's going to be the future way uh, how we yeah will make our future materials so bold threads is a company in the bay area in northern california and they have developed two uh, major uh, new materials one made from mycelium and called milo mycelium being M mycelium is the mushroom root and Stella McCartney has been working with them uh, and they created uh, her famous chain bag, the Falabella bag, which was made from this mycelium mushroom root material. So that bag was displayed in London in the Victoria Albert Museum yeah, as a new concept. Bold Threads has also developed a yarn grown in the lab from yeast and collagen 
And Stella McCartney has been using this yarn already in her collection. So this is like lab silk. Am I lab right? silk, yeah. like spider silk, artificial mm -hmm. spider silk. Yeah. Yeah. So it's another so example of where the material can be grown instead of extracting the natural materials. We can grow new materials in the lab that are also safe for environment, which I find fascinating. And there is a lot more that they do as a company in terms of responsible practices. Yes. So yeah, and, and I, I, I'm really, I can't wait to yeah, hear more from them. Unfortunately, right now, it's still that some materials are not available. It's still in the developing process or They collaborate with major brands such as Stella McCartney. So unfortunately, the materials are not available for smaller design companies right now. And But I really look forward to seeing more from them. Is there any item or like service or habit in your life that is unsustainable that you wish to be solved in the soon future? Uh, yeah, so I mean, it's hard work, hard work to be sustainable or, or yeah, living a, a sustainable life. Um, I'm still st struggling sometimes, you know, with uh, yeah, the whole plastic in in my 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 kitchen, uh, plastic lids, plastic uh, boxes, plastic. Uh, uh, covering so how i know i i buy this waxed paper to cover my food for example uh there there's many things i'm i'm struggling and that i really have to be very disciplined and it, it takes a lot of effort to try to eliminate starting from from uh, detergent uh uh to the laundry Uh, detergent and uh, yeah, other then things. kitchen items, yeah, the, the, and all the like kitchen that, items, right? cosmetics as well, so that you really become aware to what kind of cosmetics you you have to use. That you are, uh, know that the no animal testing has been used. But okay. also that they are not toxic because like yes, skin is the yes, largest exactly. organ of exactly. the body. So yeah. whatever we put on our skin is technically directly goes into our yeah. bloodstream. Yeah. What about fashion items? Do you feel like um, some items are harder to access from sustainable Yes, companies. so I would speak in just about my person. So uh, if you would know me and see me, you know, so I'm a very tall woman <laughs> living in L.A. Uh, uh, it's very hard to buy and get clothes. Start, yeah, start starting from clothes to shoes, etc. Right, but I would agree that shoes probably like one of the more complex items because it one it has mixed materials in yes. it, right? And second that it has to be has certain properties like being waterproof or durable or warm and things like that. Which that make me think makes me think again about Stella McCartney releasing the first shoe for disassembly. Or I think it's called loop sneaker. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. So, again, like coming back into idea when the item or product has mixed materials in it, yes. has to be designed with a thought in mind that in the end of its life, it can be disassembled, Disam taken apart, yeah. recycled, or the parts that are fine mm. can be reused. Um, that, that is, for example, the Adidas loop shoe, right? So, and I learned that usually an Adidas shoe uh, is made from 12 different materials imagine that and then this adidas loop is made from only one material so a tpu uh urethane or i never can so it's a <laughs> type of plastic, plastic. but it's the a type of plastic but the idea is they can be recycled fully like the entire shoe can be recycled and become new shoe yes and no so they recycle all the materials, but still they only can use five to ten percent of this material. And that's the 
downside to it. That's what I just learned. So they can reuse. So you can turn the shoe, take the shoe back to Adidas. They recycle or chop it down and grind it into small pallets. But still only 5 to 10% can be reused. And the rest is they have to add still, yeah crude plastic to it so yeah but mm. i be have big hopes that if they started in that yeah. direction that it can be developing with the resources absolutely knowledge and talent that they have i hope that they will be able to develop toward a hundred percent option that can be they can stay in loop without taking new materials yes. in what I wanted to ask is that your background is in theater in a the costume, correct? Yes. So uh, can you talk a little bit about how did the shift between the theater and the costume toward fashion and innovative materials libraries and speaking all over the world about them and working and consulting like biggest fashion clients, how did that shift happen? What was your journey? So actually it's quite simple so when so i grew up in germany and studied costume design design and theater and worked for more than 20 years as a costume designer for theater opera so a little bit of film feature film but my main interest was opera and theater and so i always have loved to work with materials and i was fascinated by what you can do to textiles you know you can cut sew pleat dye burn or whatever you know and when we moved uh here in 2000 from berlin to la i soon realized this is not so much of a theater city here and i was very frustrated and yeah unhappy and so what i'm gonna do what i'm why yeah that's a good question because my husband oh uh who is an architect, uh, he was invited by friends who started a company here to come to L.A. and become a partner. So that's okay. how I landed here. Yeah. So how did you move on from frustration and like being upset about first impression with Los Angeles? So... Yeah, then my first impression of Los Angeles was not a good one either. I said, oh my goodness, how ugly. And uh, yeah, so, but anyhow, today I love it. I don't want to live anywhere else. But it took uh, quite some time. It has to do, of course, uh, with the area where I live, Silver Lake Echo Park, which is a really beautiful area. So, but long story short, so when I realized I ain't going to work here as a costume designer, so, and it happened that a friend of mine or a friend of a friend of mine who worked at FIDM, she became pregnant and she worked in the library and she asked me if I would be interested to work there as the textile specialist in the library. And, um, I took on the job, so I went for an interview, so they hired me. And yeah, the rest is history, like I mentioned before. Then I, I started thinking about, oh, what what could I do? How could I develop this textile materials library? So we had, there was this swatch room, which still is there for students to come and swatch samples for their assignments. All the samples are have been donated by the industry. But I wanted to create something, yeah, I could relate to, so to my former job. So working with materials, working with textiles and being fascinated what you can do to materials. So the materials world, actually, exploring the materials world. And as I said, then I came across this magazine and I saw this picture of a raincoat that could be transformed into a blow-up mattress. And I thought, wow. And they <laughs> called it Urban Survivor. It was uh, um, by Italian clothing company CP. And they had worked with a designer called Moreno Ferrari. And I was fascinated by this concept. See, and today, look where we are. We are creating wearable technology and, and, yeah. and you, shirts that measure heart rates and, 
etc., etc. Right. And you're one of the people who spread that knowledge all over the globe, which I'm really grateful for. Um, also, I wanted to ask, what are your current projects and maybe future plans? What are you working on now? And do you have any exciting coming up? I have, as uh, again, which I'm very excited about is uh, I will be traveling to Japan again. So it's going to be now my third year in a row that I've been invited to Osaka to teach uh, three classes at the Ueda College of Fashion in Osaka. Um, Ueda College is the second largest, biggest uh, fashion school in Japan. And it is a privilege and it, it's an honor and I really enjoy the time there. So to educate really the young people about sustainability and even asking them questions how, if there are any uh, sustainable practices in their country, so are they facing the problems we are facing here with? Of course, I think it's a global issue facing uh plastic pollution and air pollution and climate change, you know, so. And you being international speaker and also speaking four different languages and being from yeah. Europe, and Europe and traveling all over the world now, what the difference maybe do you see how different countries approach the question and which countries you, to your opinion, seems be more active or at the front line of their eco-change? I think Asian countries, surprisingly, and even China. So I traveled to China in, in, in November. I was invited to speak at the uh, Fashion uh, Design Week in Shanghai. And I was invited by the amazing Innovative Materials Laboratory, um, Nuni Group. Nuni Group, they have developed amazing things. They have a workshop, they have their own library, they have their own shop, and with all kinds of beautiful developments. So from what I could see, and I visited Tongji University, so they have the most amazing labs, sustainability lab, a special car design lab, similar to what we are, have here at Art Center as well. But it seems even be, to be more developed if it comes to sustainability. Mm -hmm. And um, speaking about education, are there any online platforms or eco events that uh, the listeners can keep an eye on to self-educate and stay in the loop and be part of responsible and conscious society? Yeah, there. I would like to point out one news outlet, for example, uh, The Conscious Chatter, which is a podcast as well, so by created by Kestrel Jenkins. Um, they talk about uh, issues in the uh, garment and clothing industry, about fibers, processes, and manufacturing. And then I highly uh, recommend to check out the blog.feedspot.com, uh, which lists 75 blog sites that cover yeah, topics of all yeah. What about events? You mentioned textile exchange, but yeah. is there also like one of the major events that um, you think worth checking out? What I have attended in the past two years, a major event here in LA is Fashion Dex. It is part of the LA Textile Show, but Fashion Dex is also, I highly recommend this directory. It's called the Sustainable Sourcebook. Uh, look up the internet, mm -hmm. fashiondex.com. Mm -hmm. And Fashiondex has been organizing now for the past two or three years uh, a conference twice a year. When is it? January and August during LA Textile Show. And they have the most amazing panels. Innovative companies are speaking there. Very, very inspiring. There, some little brands are, are displaying their materials, their collections. So highly recommend to follow them, fashiondex.com. 
And as we are coming um, close to an end of our time together, what are the three people you would like to nominate to be interviewed here on the podcast to share and spread their knowledge? So, yeah, for example, so my, my favorite uh, here in L.A. is no doubt about it, is Isaac Nicholson and his team from Circular Systems. So if you can get hold of them, so <laughs> I really highly recommend to interview them because their journey is quite amazing. And with their Global Change Award with Agra Loop, uh, I think they are doing quite impressive things. The second uh, one is Reformation. I would highly recommend to um, interview this company. And the third would be uh, Deshelle McKillian. She's the founder of Gallery LA. I don't know if you have heard of Gallery LA. It's, it's downtown at the Row. And it's a fully immersive ethical concept store. So featuring emerging sustainable brands, uh, yeah, with focus on eco-friendly, vegan, and local production. Thank you. And uh, the last question is, what is your advice you want to give to listeners how to begin shifting toward more sustainable lifestyle, design, purchases, product, and businesses? Yeah, read as much as uh, possible, educate yourself. So use some resources that we mentioned in our podcast today and start at home. Start, yeah, with yourself. Start, yeah, looking in your kitchen, in your bathroom. Uh, look, look around. Uh, look at the materials that you have been using, for example, in your kitchen. Yeah, how to cover food, how to wash your dishes. So, uh, look for alternatives, uh, non-polluting, non-toxic uh, materials. So I think it all starts with ourselves. So in this uh, small, small run, yeah, go buy a vintage, repair, don't toss everything that you don't need anywhere, try to repair. That would be awesome if we could start repairing. So I remember when I was young, so yeah, we took things, yeah, or watching my mom when her nylons uh, got a little, how you call it? Uh, run. The run, yeah, yeah she took it to a place that repaired it so we, we just toss it right? right what about designers or businesses how can they what are the steps they can take to begin and or continue shifting toward responsible circular practice Again, attend some shows, even the LA Textile Show. Go there's more and more sustainable brands or companies, textile companies showing up. Uh, educate yourself, such in uh, panels like fashion decks, travel uh, maybe abroad to other uh, events, go to the Copenhagen Fashion Summit, for example, if you have time and the money. Uh, which is quite an experience. Uh, uh, yeah, look online where you can find in LA so many little uh, sustainable events are taking place. Eco sessions, for example. So Santa Monica City College is organizing a lot of sustainable events. I went just before the holidays. There was a huge event uh, at the Funnily, it was in the Lexus uh, uh, store or sales store in Santa Monica. And they put up a really beautiful, sustainable runway show uh, with Natasha Tonic, which is a, a brand here that makes um, swimsuits uh, using hemp fibers, for example. So... Thank you so much, Christine, for your time, your knowledge, the inspiration that you're sharing with me, with your students, and now with like widely available to anyone online who wants to learn from you. So today, Christina Pisleha was together with us. And thank you so much. Thank you so much. It was my pleasure.